If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Our guest today is Prue Barrett. Prue's ridden at two world championships. She's been shortlisted for the Olympics in three-day eventing, so she's an eventing specialist, competitor, trainer, coach and coach educator. How are you, Prue? Well, thanks. Great. Prue, really interesting. You know, you've come up, you've been shortlisted for the Olympics, you've ridden in two world championships. What about when you first started? What happened? Do you have earliest memories of horses? I do. I was the youngest of four children and my mother was very involved with horses and had ridden all her life and actually competed at, you know, at quite a high level of show jumping and uh, we grew up in Bundaberg in Queensland so there wasn't a lot of eventing happening but she actually had started an event there and was very, very keen for us to start eventing so I can't actually remember how old I was when I did my first event but it was, we were very involved in the pony club um, there at Musgrave and mum was the chief instructor once I got a little bit older and that was really her, I guess, her management of getting all of us into eventing because she felt that we weren't going to do much dressage unless we uh, did, a, did some eventing. <laughs> yes, yeah, sometimes the dressage is what you've got to do before you get to go out on the cross country. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, you've kept going and then you broadened your interest in horses. How old were you when you became a coach? I think I was 19 or 20. I can't actually quite remember, but Mm -hmm. somewhere around there. And it was when I went and worked for Heath and Rosie Ryan at the New South Wales Equestrian Centre, as it was known then. And I sort of been out of school for a couple of years. I'd had a normal job, if you call, you know, working in the bank, a normal job and riding three horses. And I had an opportunity actually to first go and work at Gundawindi. And then from there, I went down to Heath and Rosie's. And it was really when I got to Heath and Rosie's that I just loved it. I just, I thought this is really what I want to do. And wasn't really, um, like, yes, it was very, very hard work. And we worked crazy hours and lived in sort of, you know, a house with too many people in it. And you know, we all ended up being a bit like boarding school, which I've sort of been used to. But, you know, long-lasting friendships and those people are still very close and dear to me now. But that was probably the biggest turning point for me in my career going forward. Okay. But from there, from, you know, being with Heath and Rosie, you went on and you rode at quite a high level as a young rider. How old were you when you rode internationally for the first time? competed at Melbourne three-day event, so mm-hmm. that was the first international event that I competed at. That would have been in 91, I think. And how old were you then? 21. Okay, yep. Yep. So I competed at state level at Pony Club up until leaving home and travelled with the Queensland team in the state. So I was pretty fortunate because it was a very, very strong Queensland team in those days, you know, the likes of Stuart Tinney and, you know, we were all, I got probably... You know, Stuart's Pony Club was a few hours from ours, but, you know, I knew him from an early age and it really gave me a good sense of what a team was all about even in those early days. So I think I was fortunate 
to be in situations that allowed me to understand a team environment and a team concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for people who are looking to go on to just work with horses, what sort of core skills and character traits do you think that they need? You know, they might still be at school or just left school and they think they'll have a career with horses. Some people make it and some people don't. What do you think the people who make it just within the horse industry have? My first reaction to that is I think that talent is overrated and I think as people sort of think about talent as a, um, you know, their natural ability to ride the horse. I like to think of the equestrian pursuit as, you know, you've got to look at it from a holistic point of view. And I think people can be exceptionally successful in the equestrian world because the talents are so far-reaching. So you could be particularly good at finding a certain type of horse. You could be particularly good at keeping that horse on the road and managed very, very well, you know. So you might not be the most talented rider as far as a gifted rider, but your work ethic is such and your determination and your ambition actually overrides that. So, I mean, there has to be a certain aptitude to be able to ride, yes. But I don't think that um, I, my encouragement to people would be just because you're not winning everything when you're 14, 15, 16 and having a huge amount of success, if you absolutely have an ambition to do it, surround yourself with people that have been or are where you want to go and make sure you absolutely absorb yourself in that and understand what it is that you need to do because it's such a difficult Thing to be at the top of your game and it wouldn't matter if it was equestrian or downhill skiing or whatever it's going to be you need to surround yourself with really good people and people that are going to help you navigate your way through all these minefields of um, where you want to get to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so who's helped you you talked about heath and rosie anyone else that mm. you want to mention that's helped you along the way well i think my mother had a huge influence early on mm-hmm. you know she really helped me, you know, about being managed and all of that. And, and she had us coached when we were young. So I was used to being coached, not not like on a weekly basis, but we were certainly, you know, we were used to being given direction. And then when I moved to Heath and Rosie, Heath obviously had a huge influence on my life. And then I was very fortunate when I was based with Heath and Rosie to have access to people like Wayne and Vicky Roycroft and various coaches that came through. So I had a good relationship with Wayne and Vicky and then Rod Brown. And, you know, so I've I've been very, very fortunate to have access to some very good coaching. And then, of course, as a coach, Heath was a good mentor and then Wayne was a great mentor as well. I was assistant to Wayne on a number of occasions. So I really feel I've been very fortunate to be able to sort of dovetail in behind some of those people. Yeah, yeah. And what about horses? Uh, I think, you know, that, what do they say about your first love? You know, it's always special. So I think the first three-star horse I had was Navarone that I went to the Hague in 94 on and Jed, yep. as he was affectionately known. You know, he was the horse that basically mum told me I should buy, you know, this whole sum of $600 when I was yep. Yep. 18. And, um, and when I left home, she was a bit like, well, that's the only one worth taking. You know, the other two horses aren't going to take you to where you want to go. So I was literally left home with the suitcase my horse and me and away we went and you know I had good direction I had help from Heath and obviously and then Wayne and but in a while I don't think I had any comprehension of how difficult it was like he was a super duper cross-country horse I wasn't mm-hmm. particularly confident or brave cross-country and I think that horse really 
it really opened a door for me. You know, it, it is you're only as good as the horse you're riding, basically. And that horse was exceptional cross country horse and very good on the flat. And I and I definitely opened doors for me. Okay. So, what do you think's been your proudest moment then, with the doors that he's opened for you? Well, it's a funny one. You know, the proudest moment. I was really, you know, when I went to that first World Games and placed, of course, you know, it was a little bit of a bittersweet moment because I was leading after the cross country and then had rails and so it seemed like you were slipping down the leaderboard. But I think if I was beforehand, someone had said, oh, look, you're going to end up ninth, I would have been pretty chuffed. So mm, mm. it's not over till it's over. And, I, you know, I think the ninth at your first World Games is not to be sneezed at, which, you know, however many years later I can say that quite easily now but proudest moment it's a little bit now I've done so much more coaching in the last few years and now obviously my children are riding I've got to say I get a huge buzz when people do well achieve what they want to achieve and that actually does make me really proud and I it's really rewarding to see people getting the satisfaction out of the sport that I have enjoyed for so long. So that's a really big thing for me. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily about the win. I mean, you know, the trouble is sometimes you win without a great performance and other times you have a great performance and you don't win. So, you know, it's always, for me, I, um, there's great delight in um, seeing people do well. Yep, yeah, good. And what about, you know, we've talked about your proudest moment and your highs. What about your biggest challenges? Probably there's a couple. I I tend to sort of put things into boxes and that when I was riding, I think my biggest challenge probably when I was riding was when um, my horse was slightly lame before Sydney Olympics and that was a huge challenge just to sort of manage through that minefield and so that was a huge disappointment. I think with my riding, you know, just talking about my riding career, I think as a coach my biggest challenge was probably, and I feel a bit rude to say it, feeling Wayne Roycroft's boots when I stepped into the national coach position and I didn't, I, that was a huge step for me from mm-hmm. I wasn't looking for that position at that stage and to be honest it was Wayne who told me I really needed to do it and probably if I hadn't had Wayne's blessing I would have run a mile and I think that just opened my eyes to so many things and I really enjoyed the challenge so we had you know two Olympic Games, one World Championship a few Trans-Tasman and Oceanas in there and it was a, the whole thing was a challenge and the most amazing opportunity mm, and mm. I, I, I love a challenge. I'm not someone <laughs> that, you know, if I have a strength that I'm quite good under pressure and so that it wasn't something I was going to shy away from if I was, you know, I don't like living with regret so I was going to give it my best. Yeah, and great that Wayne did that and had the faith in you and the confidence in you to even think that you could handle yeah. that position. Oh, yeah, that I've good. had a very yeah. good relationship with Wayne over mm. the years and I have found him to be both encouraging and sometimes not so encouraging. Sure. But in the end, you know, the things he said that weren't encouraging at the time were the things that made me better too. And I mean that, you know, in a really positive way. Mm. You know, it's no mm. different to me putting pressure on students now. And, you know, even now with Wayne, it is someone that, you know, I can discuss something with in that sort of landscape of that, you know, head coach role and you just know he gets it. He just gets it. I don't have to explain things. He just, you know, he just understands. And, yeah. that, and so he, he has been helpful to me. Yeah, yeah. Very good judge of horses but of people as well. Yeah. Mm. 
Now, putting on your coach's cap, and it doesn't have to be at a national level, it could be whatever level you say, what's a common problem that you see people have with their horses and how can it get fixed? Probably at the moment, with a lot of the clinics and coaching that I'm doing, I feel that, um, and this is this is just a you know a bit of a stab with what I you know I feel like I'm saying a lot at mm. the moment is that I feel that people, to a sense, are riding very backwards. So their body is very upright. They're very they're using their feet for balance, and I'm much more of the you know probably down the George Morris style of position and ride where you know our point of balance is our feet basically when we're jumping and I would prefer a lighter seat in the saddle. Now I believe with the venting that you need every end of the spectrum so you need to be able to get behind the movement. I'm not a lean forward person going down a drop, I'm a mm-hmm. lean back person and that works for me for my body shape, my amount of strength and all those things that I factor in. But I don't want that very upright heavy seat to be the default position and I see a lot when I'm teaching that people um, that's their default position and I think it encourages you to ride backwards to a fence and it doesn't allow the horse to jump out of its rhythm. I would always say that your pace is the first most important thing and then your line and then the distance you know the takeoff point is the third thing and I feel that people ride backwards looking for that perfect takeoff point but in actual fact, they've missed the first two things. So I mm-hmm. think those things together, you can get dragged into that world and it's a bit of a slippery slope. It's very difficult to get yourself out of that on your own. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. So you think that coaches are putting too much focus on distance rather than pace and line and that's why the people are coming to you like that or do you think that people I just think I, that I, the distance, okay. Yeah, I think that the sport has become a lot more sophisticated and so yep. people are more aware of it and I think, they're, I think they're doing it for genuine reasons. They're actually trying to be really good and mm. I think they're trying to do um, – so for me, just to you know, to sort of explain it, like the sophistication required to ride at eighty centimeters isn't as much as it is to go one star. Sure. And so you know, if you, you know, like your distance at an eighty centimeter fence really isn't particularly important. Your pace and your line is incredibly important. Once you go up the grades, the sophistication is greater. Okay, and and that's I guess something else I do unfortunately see is that people think, oh well, I can jump bigger now. I'll I can jump bigger, you know. So I'll go 95, or I'll go 105, or I'll even go one star. And I certainly, I think it's a concern that I can see people riding one star at the sophistication that I would be coaching at 80 centimeters. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of factors in it. I think the cross-country coaching needs to be, you know, like it needs to be done. I don't know how much of it is done. I think it's getting more and more, which is really good. And I think the other thing is the fences that are not like show jumps, um, I mean like land-based fences, so not portable jumps, yep. are expensive to build. And so people, we jump a lot of portable jumps when we go onto a cross-country course because they're cheaper to build. They can be moved around. So it's a bit of a catch-22, but it's not teaching people to ride a certain terrain or to ride, you know, up and down and open ditches and steps and things like that. 
So I do think events are starting to recognise that and starting to build more other sort of fences. But until you start jumping those other sort of fences, you don't understand how important your pace and line is, whereas your portable isn't really much different to jumping a show jump. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your pace and those things and your position are not so paramount. Okay, now you talked a bit earlier about body shape. How much does body shape affect the position, the rider's position? Well, I think with the body shape, what I encourage people to do is find someone that would be a similar size and shape to them. If they want to find someone to pin on their wall or they want to watch videos of them and they want to say, well, I want to do it like that, well, there's no point in me looking at, you know, Mark Todd and going, well, I'm going to ride like Mark Todd. Like, for me, I felt that I was probably more, you know, the Ginny Leng style sort of person, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was riding or whatever. And I just think that it's... You're just setting yourself up for failure. Like, I'm not going to be able to ride like Stuart Tinney. I mean, his arms are about a foot longer than mine, you know? So I think it's important that people, you don't set yourself up for failure. And especially, I think, with the girls, I think the boys have a lot more strength, whereas the girls do have to rely on the balance and the timing and, you know, it's not just brute strength. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important that you get really well balanced and you get good information on how you can make your position secure. You have to have a very secure position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. What are you looking forward to now in the future? Well, what am I looking forward to? Um, I'm looking forward to my children continuing to ride, <laughs> okay. um, whether they will or not, I don't know. I'm looking forward to, personally, I've got some amazing young horses that Craig and I have bred. I mean, Craig and I have been operating a breeding program for 20 years. We've still got original mares and, you know, so we're really excited about that. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to Christmas. (laughs) But, you know, I think I'm really excited about 2018 and, and what it'll bring and the events and the young horses and, you know, going forward. And we've got a really exciting breeding program and I need to get on and get these young horses going. And with the breeding program, when do you sell them? Do you have a look at them when they're foals, they hit the ground? Do you sell them? Do you get them going, competing them? At what level or do you sell them all the way through? Well, that's it, isn't it? We don't have a rule. Mm -hmm. I am definitely, we've made the mistake of leaving them till they're a little bit too old to do things with and that wasn't a planned thing. That was just because I was working you know, in the head coach job, and so horses got left still a bit longer, but I certainly have a plan for next year to get the yearlings in and do something with them and really sort of get to know them. And, you know, before I turn them away, we like to put them away on a big property for 12 months and let them be horses and let them grow up and run with a mob. I think that's really important, and they get really strong in their, all in their lower leg, all that, uh, you know, all the connective tissues and yep. everything, you know, not, not just staying on... We've got very sandy country where we are, so, you know, they don't get that sort of harder ground and the unlevel ground. So I think that's really important as young horses that they learn to be horses and be very short-footed. We usually try and start them when they're sort of two or three. And then I guess it depends on what somebody's looking for. I mean, if someone comes up to us and says, I'm looking for this, this, this and this, and we've got a horse that's going to suit them, we're very interested in, you know, ticking the box for them. If we don't have a horse that's going to suit them, it just doesn't work. Like we're mm. not interested in selling a horse to someone that is going to be a disaster. I mean, that's not good for anybody. So we don't really have a rule. We would like to have like well, we're competing more of our own homegrown horses. I think for a horse to 
you know, to really show what it's capable of. It's nearly a little bit of a lucky dip in partnering with a rider that's going to bring it up the best in them. I mean, we've been really fortunate, you know, that three of our horses that have we've bred, two have won Adelaide Four Star and one has won Wallaby Hill Three Star of our breeding. And I think they all, you know, they partnered with a rider that was able to give them that opportunity. And I don't think you can, yeah, I I don't, if I knew how to make that happen and the perfect formula, well, we'd be doing it all the time. (laughs) But I I think that's the amazing thing about it. It, it, It's a little bit freakish how it happens. Yep, yep. All right, now that's good. That's good. Now, if you can sum up your philosophy into a lesson today. I think you have to enjoy it. I think while you're enjoying it, you can tolerate all of the hard stuff that goes along. I think surround yourself with people that can encourage you, so have a good team around you. And I think you have to love working with the horse's brain. You have to love working with their brain. Because, I mean, I've had horses that aren't particularly talented physically, but they've got the most amazing brain, the most amazing work ethic. And so I, I encourage people to work with the horse's brain and that, that's what we get addicted to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Prue, how can people contact you? Well, we've got a website and a Facebook page and mm-hmm. it's um, our Facebook page is Sandhill Craig and Prue Barrett. You can contact me by email on prue at sandhills.com.au and our webpage is just www.sandhills.com.au. Okay, thanks, Prue. And um, for anyone else that's interested, Craig was um, interviewed just a little while ago. So if you want to have another view from Sandhills, you can um, search Craig or have a look at horsechats.com slash Craig Barrett. And Prue's contact details will also be on horsechats.com slash Prue Barrett. Prue, thanks for talking to us today. It's been very good talking to you. I'm sure that people have got a lot more understanding from your brilliant explanations. They've been good and I hope to catch up with you again sometime. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 